Hello everyone, this is Trey Borden, and welcome to this episode of What We Gonna Do. This week is about performance and how it can be used to make change, powerful change, using your platform to create a world that you want to see. Uh, today's guest is Tyler Matthew Oyer, and he is a performance artist, visual artist, and singer, songwriter, musician. He's got a beautiful voice. I've had his song Cry on repeat for some time. It has really hit hard in these times where we are definitely seeing some stuff that is heartbreaking. And I've known him for a long time uh, when he participated in Beacon, one of my uh, <clears throat> projects in Sacramento with Jessa, Jessa Ciel. And he was a, an artist that was very, very articulate and creative when it came to um, talking about the kind of queer experience, queer narratives. He's often bringing in um, works and personas that are from the past or kind of embody the spirits of people who've come before us and kind of bringing their very relevant works into the present. Um, he is in L.A., uh, like me, and kind of navigating this quarantine, at this point navigating the lockdown and trying to make sense of a world that is just truly breaking apart. Um, and so uh, we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, um, and here's what we talked about. Hello. Hey, 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 what's going on, sweet? I'm sorry for the delay. That's okay, let me see about this video here. Okay. <laughs> yes. Now I'm gonna put my phone, oops, my phone on airplane so it doesn't. Um, Good idea. Doesn't um, ding dong much. Um, yeah, so like I'm in Palm Springs. I got here yesterday afternoon. My friend was like, how would you like a change of pace? I was like, I would love one. Downtown almost blew up last weekend. <laughs> so uh, I got here, but I hadn't, I was like, it should be pretty easy to set up like just a backdrop for these interviews. Like how bad could it be? And I was like, actually, like there's nothing but light. And usually that's good. But um, thank you for bearing with me. Um, Fine. Okay, great. Well, then let's, first of all, thank you for appearing on what we go and do. Uh, this episode is going to be about kind of performance and its power. And I'm really excited to have you, Tyler, because you're one of the people I admire the most in terms of like having such a clear voice that you really use to do a variety of different things um, from really kind of provocative and compelling visual performances to um, music that gets me through the day. <laughs> Um, and so why don't you just for the sake of our listeners kind of explain, you know, who you are and kind of what your practice is about a little bit. Um, my artist name. And then, and then, get into this, then give me this backdrop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, also, th well, thanks for having me. Um, this is fun to kind of pick up this kind of conversation that we started a year ago for um, the 50th anniversary of Pride. So uh, it's nice to be back in formal conversation with you. Of course. Um, I'm, my artist name is Tyler Matthew Oyer, and I am someone who works in visual art. Um, I studied sculpture and performance, but then I also, as a teenager, studied voice and theater. So I kind of have spent the last like 10, 15 years exploring those things separately and together. And a lot of my research is um, tethered around different kinds of queer histories and loss. Um, and so I look at kind of loss and devastation as a way of um, trying to bridge gaps 
between the here and then, the now and the past. Because um, the past for me isn't gone, it lives in and through us. And so I use music and drawing and photography and painting and sculpture and writing as a way of like articulating those connections. Well, that's really, I mean, there's a, a few different things. I mean, I should have asked you, first of all, uh, how are you? I mean, this has been a, you want to talk about, you know, pandemonium and craziness, like here we are. So just like, you know, just checking in, how have you been absorbing all of this? And like, how are you doing? And kind of like, how has this been in terms of the disruption? Yeah, um, I'm okay. <laughs> good, good, you um, look well, you know? I have to say- the very we talk- least that skin is good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, when you called, but I have really, um, I've been looking for a little bit of a break in my kind of, in the kind of, um, the pacing of what it means to be a professional artist. And before this pandemic, I was trying to figure out when I would schedule that for myself and what that would mean. And so now this pandemic kind of just did it for me. So in a way, the disruption has been nice. Um, It's kind of been a little bit of a blessing in terms of just slowing down. Also, I think it's really interesting, like for the first time in our lives, we're feeling capitalism, the pace of capitalism slow down, um, which is uh, kind of a little bit of a revolutionary thing. Uh, and hopefully we can find ways of like implementing that more often. <laughs> Just in terms right. Of- <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that have happened where you're like, you know, obviously like, you know, and it depends on your vantage point. For some people, this has been like a truly horrific time for like health and economic reasons. But yeah. for a lot of us, it's been like mostly just kind of existential and very, very much like a, what could I reimagine my life being? And in, in terms of that, it's been really interesting to see like, oh wow, like animals repopulating. Oh wow, like the LA sky is blue and like people in India and China can breathe. Yeah. You know, like there's a little bit of like, could we piece back together what life was, you know, on, our, on better terms that reflects what we need. Yeah, yeah, and I also think that, I mean, so I've been well in that way, but also I live alone and I work alone. So I've also experienced like, um, you know, just like a lot of kind of like my brain gets a little wackadoodle and I'm like, what day is it? And what time yeah, is right. it? And like, what matters? What doesn't matter? Like, I don't know, like, do I reach out to someone or not? Like, you know, there's a lot of that. And, and it's kind of like, people are like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm turning into a monk. And the thing is, I'm like, I didn't really mean to turn into a monk, but I am. So there's also that kind of like, there's a little bit of that conflict. Like, I like this kind of monkish, slow isolation with a lot of contemplation, but then also sometimes I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this wasn't something I chose. Um, I actually recently heard this concept, uh, I think it has a few different names, but one of them is like skin hunger. Like this idea that like you're, you know, you have kind of like almost like a response to like lack of intimacy and touch. Like, so for those of us who are living this monk life, over here single and living alone, I think that it is a lot to, like you forget like, oh, I haven't hugged someone in weeks, you know? And I don't know, I don't know what the long-term impacts of that are. I mean, I guess like for now it's fine. Um, yeah, I actually bridged that gap a few days ago where I hugged, we, I, like we, I hugged someone. We agreed to <laughs> Congratulations. Like, and it was so strange. I was like, wow, I haven't hugged someone. Cause also I come from like, I come from a family where like we kiss, like I kiss my friends, I kiss my family. Like I'm not afraid of touch. I also spend a lot of time in Europe, and in Europe, it's like kiss, kiss. It's like you're always touching. I know. I don't know what's going to happen to them. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know how to live their lives after this. It was this. kind of funny. Like I had this hug, and I didn't want it. I didn't want the embrace to end. I was kind of like, wow, this feels so crazy. 
So in terms of, you know, the themes that you touched on earlier, it's like, um, especially in queer history, like kind of living, you know, our community has lived through a very severe pandemic uh, and kind of like, the, you know, the things that we're missing out on as a result of uh, who was lost there um, and bringing that to the present. It's almost like now we're in kind of like our generations, maybe some version of that. And like, so how do you kind of position yourself like in the, in the, in the in-between? Like, are we now, like, are you someone, is there a future Tyler looking back on this time? Like, what's your relationship to that? Well, I mean, I would start off by saying, I don't, you know, like the HIV AIDS pandemic hasn't ended. Um, right. That's not, it's not gone. So I think the difference between right now with coronavirus, COVID-19 versus HIV and AIDS is that the, the public response has just been so radically different. You know, it's like immediately Lady Gaga is organizing a world concert and immediately the World Health Organization is declaring it a pandemic and every government and every major nation basically is like putting some restrictions or response to this situation where in the 80s, um, you know, it was a different story <laughs> because it was affecting a different, a different part of the population. And now even still HIV and AIDS is a different story because it's still affecting people who are black and brown, who don't subscribe to heteronormativity, um, who have jobs that are precarious perhaps. Um, and, and, so and kind of like proximate. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think that I think that what Corona does is it reminds us that this these these issues are not new. Mm -hmm. They're not new. You know, this is not the first pandemic, and it won't be the last. And this is not the first time where a marginalized community is impacted greater than uh, a majority. You know, this is not the first time uh, where governments are fucking up. Right. And and not doing it as an accident. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. We'll get into that. Um, <laughs> and in terms of like how you developed your practice, like in, you know specifically around performance, like why do you feel like that is for you like an effective tool to kind of like touch upon and explore these narratives and themes, and also like make an impact on people who aren't thinking about this shit. Yeah, I mean. Uh, the, the first answer is like very selfish. It's just that I really love performing. I grew up, I grew up, <laughs> I, <hope performing>. so. <laughs> I grew up performing. I grew up on stage and like performing in church and in community theater and in school theater. And, and so for me, like, I just, I really love that format. I feel very, um, I feel enabled in that format. Um, but then in terms of like, so that's kind of form. And then in terms of content, um, I don't know, I guess like the person that I always kind of, lean back on is Brecht, um, you know, was like a German uh, theater maker and writer um, from the first half of the 20th century. And I guess like what he says is like, if you can use theater to illustrate the problems of the present to the public, then they can think critically about it and potentially go beyond the theater and into their lives and change how they move and think through the world. Um, and so for me, I guess it's like, it's a little bit pedagogical at this point. Um, and also with theater, it's really nice because it's temporal. So you can actually reenact something. Like what does it mean to right. reenact something or to enact something um, from the past? You know, it's, and, and I mean, we see it in movies all the time. I mean, how many World War II movies do we have? Uh, <laughs> you know? I truly don't know. 
yeah, yeah. But I think that the space of theater can be, uh, or, or like temporal. I also love like a shared event. I love, um, I love bringing people together and have, and yeah. So that's well, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because you know, to the, I mean, I guess we could get theoretical, but like typically for a performance to exist, there has to be an audience. And one of the things that has been truly disrupted and, you know, we're still trying to pick up the piece. And I mean, that's what the point of the show is like, how do we kind of still maintain the power of a, you know, a relevant and poignant performance when we have now completely changed the landscape of how you view it. Um, and so kind of talk a little about that. You know, I've been to your performances and, you know, it is a kind of, it's a communion of sorts, like not just with you, the artist, but even with the other people around us to kind of contextualize what we're experiencing. How are you thinking about that right now? How is that changing? Well, it's definitely changed. I mean, as I'm applying for, for unemployment and as I'm applying for like different grants for relief, I mean, the first thing I say is I make money in three ways, as a musician performing, as an experimental performance artist, and as like a visiting lecturer, educator, workshop person. And basically all, all of those possibilities are just indefinitely cut at this point um, in terms of bringing people together in a space to experience something communally. Um, of course, we have Zoom and we have all these different ways that people are getting super creative um, to try and keep their creative practices present. Um, so I don't really know what it means for me. I think, as I said before, I think that I'm also taking this time to have a break of trying to figure out everything all the time. Um, and I'm honoring that. So I haven't really figured out how this new social distance landscape is gonna, how my work might, um, my work in music and theater and workshopping and teaching is gonna tr be reimagined for, for this landscape. I'm more honoring the break, but at the same time, I'm like releasing a new music album, which is pretty right. fortunate timing because it's already done. And, and basically it all happens online anyway. Songs get released online, the videos get released online, the press happens online. The only thing that's on hold right now is, is like a live show. Sure. Um, you know, and you know, you might start developing kind of like virtual live shows. I mean, yeah. you know, we're talking to a few other people this week and like that's something they're exploring. Um, I want to talk about kind of impact for a second, you know, in terms of like what you want your art. You know, you talked about, um, kind of branching from the theater, you know, reaching an audience, going past the theater and kind of into life. To me, what that talks about is like, what is the impact that you're making when you're talking about such themes that are really grounded in kind of what's happening in the world and like what you'd like to see happen um, and what you'd like to see stop happening. What did impact mean for you kind of before and has, is, I mean, I know you're probably still working through it, but like what might impact me in this new context? I mean, I think it's the same, and that's maybe a hasty answer, but I think that, like I said before, these issues are not new issues. The issues of capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy and American imperialism and domination, these are not new issues. These are issues that, have, that are hundreds of year old, years old, they're implemented, they're structural. Um, and I think for me, this moment just lays them bare for more people. Mm -hmm. um, because not only is this a health crisis, it's an economic crisis. And the minute it becomes economic, the minute it gets into white people's pockets, it matters. Right. 
Uh, I hate to say that, like in such blatant ways. Well, I hate for it to be true. <laughs> it's not that simple. It's not that simple, but in some ways it's true. You know, it's like, it's very easy in America to think, well, that's not my issue. Well, the minute that it becomes a financial issue, you know, it doesn't discriminate as much. Um, so I don't, I don't really know if, if, if the impact has shifted because of the pandemic for me. I think it just becomes way more clear and hopefully more clear to more people. And, and maybe the impact for me is not so much about art, but it's more about like getting people out to vote, getting, making people realize that like democracy is really on like 2% at this point. And if we're going to save it, right. like, <laughs> like, my, like my phone constantly. Yeah. It might be on, it might be on 1% at this point, depending on who you ask and what's going on. Um, well, I mean, I think that that's interesting, right? Because I think that, you know, when think, people think about like a, an art practice, it's not always kind of, uh, there's not a clear link from like this performance or this piece of this artist to like a very tangible outcome politically, you know? Do you think that a lot more artists in your position, or you specifically like, do you want to have, do you, are you trying to like, let me create a piece that's called Vote Bitch, <laughs> you know? Like, you better vote, bitch. Uh, that makes me weak. Brittany should have done that. Um, but like, what, what, what role do you think you have or other artists have to play in kind of making that direct case? Or is it just to expose people to what's happening and make their, they can make their own choices about how to kind of act on that? Well, I think the art world, I'm gonna come at it from, from like the art world perspective. I think that the art world is very divided. I think there's a conservative art world that's very money-based, that's very object-based, that's very much about an economy. And then there's an art world that's very much about radicality and doesn't care about prices so much. And it's more about ideas and social engagement, social critique, bringing people together in different ways. That's not so much about the market, not so much about art fairs. So I think that in some ways, we're going to just see the divide become even greater where it's like a lot of galleries are going to close. Um, and so that means that the only ones that are going to survive are the ones that are already making all the money. And those mm -hmm. artists are still going to be supported by those galleries. So I think the conservatism is just going to shift one way in the art world. And then in the other way, it's like less more artists are going to make less money. So it's going to shift what the work is going to be. Because mm -hmm. if you're not making money off your paintings anymore, maybe you're going to, maybe you're going to try and shift your, your focus. Um, and maybe it does. We've already seen this in the past few years, especially since, since the last election. Um, a lot more artists have gotten a lot more political and there's been a lot more organizing. And, and, you know, we've seen the performance programs and the social engagement really um, become one of the forefront programs in most of the major museums. And which brings up museums and funding cuts and all these issues. And I, I think that all these institutions really need to shift what their what their purpose is at this point. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's like, how do you prove you're essential? You know, it should be for them as well as us. And also if you are a place that's claiming radicality and a place of discourse and of community and of inclusivity and of decolonializing, and if you're using all, if you're using queer inclusivity, if you're using those terms, like they cannot just be buzzwords. They have to be enacted. Like we, like they cannot, it cannot just be marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that's, I think we're going to see, hopefully we're going to see more of a shift in, in regards to those things. What was the question? Oh, I was just, I was just asking you if, um, if the people that are practicing art are going to start using 
there are much more pointedly politically, I think was my question. But I mean, it really just comes down to kind of like, you know, people who are building a platform for themselves and people who are kind of using that platform to make a political change. Um, I think that the, their role is very clear in this type of context, because like if you're building a platform and you, you say you're about change, whether you're a museum or an artist or an activist, and you're not shifting what you do to meet the needs of that time, then like you're going to be less relevant and like the impact you're going to make is going to be much more limited because the because the other side of it is there's people out here who are just performing who are supposed to be doing the things that are really substantive policy making and kind of help like you know thinking of politics as theater you know you have a trump you have someone who's acting like a president whatever that fucking means to them what is that like to see for you as someone who also i mean i don't know that he would call himself a performance artist but like to me, that's what he is. He's certainly not serious. Well, I mean, he definitely has a, he has a persona that's crafted over decades that has, I mean, he's definitely got his methods. <laughs> Good. Um, I guess the other thing that comes up for me in terms of like art and politics is it's very, it's also very hard. It's not, it's not very hard. Sometimes for me, I have a hard time reconciling in myself a belief in democracy and having like a real radical queer spirit <laughs> because I don't really believe in the system that we're in, but also mm -hmm. I'm not so much of an intellectual elitist egotist that I would be like, I'm not going to vote. I don't believe in it because it does affect me and it affects other people. And, and I remember a quote that always comes up from Angela Davis during the last election where she said, I think she was on democracy now maybe. And she was saying like, do I like Hillary Clinton? Absolutely not. But am I such an egotist that I wouldn't vote for her and, and know that I'm risking Trump getting in office? No. And I think that that's, that's the kind of paradox. Like we don't necessarily, like I don't, I'm not excited about Joe Biden at all. I'm not excited about, about government in general. <laughs> you know, there's right. maybe like three or four yeah, there's maybe three or four people that I'm like, they seem pretty cool. And they're not super, they're not corrupted yet. You know, there's like that kind mm -hmm. of thing. I mean, I, I guess I'm a bit of a, I guess I'm a bit of a pessimist when it comes to like the illusion of democracy that we have in this country. But at the same time, I do feel a responsibility. You know, like I cannot just sit in a kind of like art studio and critique the hell out of America and then not really feel like I have any, like that I have no responsibility to action. Right. Or like kind of stake in the game or skin in the game. You're like, y'all do you, I'll just be over here in my art studio that, you know, also lives in this society. Exactly. Um, and I think that that's a lot of what people are thinking of as well. It's like, you know, separating art from the artists or art from like the context or the people or the place it's made or the people it's made for. It's like all this stuff is, I think really, all the adornment and kind of like other things are being stripped away and you're just left with like, what do we want to happen? I mean, talk about Joe Biden. I mean, this is someone where if you told me three months ago that I would be like a strident Joe Biden supporter, I would have been like, you're fucking insane. Cause it's literally, but if you'd also told me that there would be a thing that came around and I wouldn't be thinking about the presidential election for a few weeks, I would have also told you like, that is literally not possible. And so what this has done is it's really kind of shifted everything that we're conscious about. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's like, a, 
it's really destabilizing and kind of scary because you're also realizing the stakes. Mm-hmm. And so like when you do think about kind of the future in terms of like where you want to go or how you want to reach people, like, do you, like how has this impacted that? Or do you even know that yet? Like, do you have an interest like now, like, like for instance, what we're doing right now, I would have never told you like, you know what? 2020 is going to be when I become a YouTuber. Right, that was literally not my plan. You're you're good uh, at it, though, Trey. You're good. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You know, it's it's a journey. Uh, and like, and especially in the context of like no ask, like no salons or anything to like make sure I'm looking my best. So it really is like what you see is what you get, which is really I think kind of reassuring. Um, but like thinking about like how you continue to kind of grow your reach, uh, does, what kind of opportunities do these constraints offer? Well, I mean, this is maybe a premature answer, but like I've always kind of claim I've always positioned myself for like the last 10 years as kind of like a bit underground, a bit alternative, like queer, like not mainstream and not interested in that. Um, and now that I'm making music and I, and I have my second record coming out and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking more about um, how to be effective. Because I also think a lot of people have very large platforms and they don't speak to the issues that are, that are really real. And they, or they speak to them when it's, when it's sexy, when they can look like a hero. Um, you know, it's interesting, like my whole thing with like Lady Gaga doing the world whatever concert is like, I'm like, wow, people cared. Pe- the world cared whenever Notre Dame was on fire. The world cared during coronavirus, but like what pop star, what major, 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 like millions of followers pop star was doing anything for Flint, Michigan? Right. Like was Ariana Grande over there at Standing Rock doing like a two week concert? You know, like exactly. That, exactly. what would that even yeah. mean for her to do that? You know? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that like for me, I'm thinking about what does pop look like for me or something like that? Like, what does it look like to, to maybe try to be a little bit broader in my intention in terms of like, I'm not just make, I don't want to just feel like I'm existing in this alternative performance scene. What does it look like to kind of do a little bit of a crossover in order to make the politics more effective? That's really interesting you say that. I mean, because I mean, even with this project, it's like, I like, you know, doing what I think needs to exist in the world with kind of like not thinking about whether who's going to see it, you know, because it's like, it's like, for me, it's like justifying something being like, I care about this. And if I can justify spending my time this way. And I think it's going to make an impact. And like my, um, if the results are not everyone loves it or everyone's seen it, I can still live with that. You know, but then you start to be like, well, I am actually quite talented in a bunch of different things and it matters what I spend my time doing in terms of like what might be impacted. So maybe I do need to spend more time thinking about like, how do I spread my message the widest? Like that's where these and I, do think, and I think that it also comes to audience too. Like I think people actually care. Like if you present them with an issue and you present them, I mean, it's very different to be a 15 year old now than it was when we were 15 years old. You have so much access to so many things. I mean, fucking like first year, second year university students are like quoting fucking theory. And like, they're like, their politics are so radical compared to what we were allowed to do when we were that age, because we, we weren't, we weren't, um, well, I'll speak for myself. I wasn't exposed to the criticality and the um, the, the language 
around anti-patriarchal thought and anti-imperial thought and anti-white supremacy and decolonial. I mean, those were things that I didn't learn until I was basically in graduate school. Right. Um, and so for me, I think that young people do care. And then I see what's getting press and I see who takes up a lot of airtime. And I think like, wow, I mean, there are some brilliant artists out there who are getting a lot of attention and, and I, and I am, and I fangirl, you know, I mean, I'm right. I'm, I'm there, but I do think about the effectiveness of the politics. I do think about the effectiveness of the content and the form again, um, and where it can live and how it can speak. Well, I mean, what are the things that you worry? I mean, cause like I said, you know, going to a concert or going into a shared space and seeing something raw and something powerful and, and kind of authentic is, you know, for many people like a, a life changing or kind of at least a very significant experience. Um, and you know that very well, like how can that be, how can that same, I mean, is it worthwhile to try and figure out ways to approximate that feeling without those spaces? Or is it just kind of like, let's not even chase that. Let's kind of use these other avenues that we do have access to that we may not have taking advantage of to do something that we couldn't do in those spaces. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't well, like, here's know. an example. Like I was talking to the LGBT center in Sacramento and I was saying that, you know, they had all of these issues with the local police at last year's pride, trying to, the police wanted to wear their uniforms. The community was very, or, you know, a lot of people in the community, mostly younger people, people of color were anti that. And so there was all this rancor and they've been struggling to kind of have these in-person come to Jesus moments between law enforcement and the community. And I was saying, well, if we're going to have a virtual pride, there actually is a way to maybe broker these conversations that are not so heightened and disruptive, where it's just people talking to people. It's not a bunch of people showing up to city hall and the cops all there in uniform. And it's like, there's a non-starting aspect to that. And so in that simple example, I'm saying like, there's things that could happen over Zoom that would be much more productive given what we say we want than like a million town hall meetings where everyone's just going to be screaming and crying. Yeah. That's How does that translate to kind of like a performance or a performer's outlook to like what they're trying to achieve if it does? I don't know. I think they're, I think they're different in a way because one is about a conversation and de-escalating potential conflict in order to have like a meaningful verbal exchange. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that performance for me is, is more about maybe more about like presenting conflict, but in a way that's not um, super confrontational or something. <laughs> <laughs> so well, not as interactive, right? Like you're kind of giving this yeah. and people get to sit with it. You know, yeah. I mean, there's obviously some pieces that are more interactive than others. But. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my work at this point is less conversational um, in that, in that regard. I mean, I have done community conversations with Tear Journal, the journal that I'm the editor for, like this queer journal that lives online. I used to do like once or twice a year, I would do like tear talks where we would, I mean, one time there was 90 people in the room. Mm. Um, and that was all about exchange and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that could happen now unless it was like, just like a zoom situation where people just tune in and listen. 
But the issue with Zoom, I'm gonna have a lot of, I'm not teaching right now and I'm not in school, but I have a lot of people, I lot of, have a lot of friends who are in school. I have a lot of friends who are teaching at universities. My sister is a fifth grade public school teacher. And I do know that the, the um, remote learning is, is, of course it's an alternative, but it's not an ideal. And I think it shouldn't be. And I think we should be very suspicious of it as mm -hmm. Naomi Klein talked about last week on Democracy Now. <laughs> um, because it's, it's just a way of like getting rid of personnel. It's a way of reducing jobs. And then, you know, whatever, Zoom, Google, chat, whatever, they own all the content. And then, you know, it's like if you give a lecture, you give a lecture once, they own the video and they can just basically use it endlessly. So you, your, your teaching, your pedagogy is rendered obsolete the minute that you put it online in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we need to be a little bit cautious of how, how innovative we get with remote <laughs> you're like don't yeah don't innovate yourself out of a job <laughs> you know yeah or or don't ways. don't innovate yours don't sell everything that you do to these corporations yeah and that's really you know that there's a bleakness to this life that we're living now that's just it seems like nowhere you think there's nowhere to run you know, because you're like, okay, I give up this, like, I'll just do this. Well, that's gonna, you know, sooner or later, that's gonna have the same issues. Um, and I mean, I guess, you know, this is not even a, a kind of practice related question, but more just like a personal related question. Like, how are you kind of coping as someone who likes to live life with their eyes open? You know, I think a lot of people are really struggling now because they they make themselves so busy and they do these things without thinking. So they are not forced to kind of sit down and be like, oh my God. You know, um, I think that for those of us who think that we're a little bit more self-aware all the time, this has been less of a major shift, but also just a very, in times, dispiriting realization that like we are fucked in many ways without a lot more things like this happening. So kind of like, how do you, how do you keep yourself not feeling that way all the time? Well, I think a few ways. The first way is um, it's interesting how my friendships in LA and my friendships all over the world, everyone's experiencing a version of this at the same time. And so in some ways it's allowed us to connect um, both in terms of a kind of emotionality, but also in, a ter in, time, in terms of time, like people have more time to do things like this. Like I, I, had, I had Skype friend hangouts that um, basically were things we wanted to do for years. We just never had the time or made the time to do it. Where now it's like, oh, actually everyone is slowing down. Everyone has got a, this kind of a, a level of loneliness or isolation that, or they just need to get away from their partner who they're stuck with or their family right. they're stuck with. And so it's been nice to just sure. be like, hey, do you want to Skype now? And, I, and it's normally like, yeah, I can do that. Um, another thing is that I, I do have like a really supportive family and they're all in Pennsylvania. While I'm in LA, they're quarantining or they're isolating together. And so I do talk to them a lot, which is quite nice. Um, and then the third way is that I got this random ding ding on my phone and it was um, an invitation to like a 21 day meditation practice, which mm. I've, never, I've never done. I've never been against it, but I've never kind of been like, yeah, I wanna start a meditation practice. And I did the 21 day meditation and that was a really nice touch point. Um, especially for those days where my mind really just got like really loosey goosey and was like, what, like, am I hungry? I'm not hungry. Like I'm kind of tired of watching Netflix. Like my eyes are tired of reading. Like I already exercised. 
you know, when you kind of run down the list of things to do, like, should I take another shower? (laughs) (laughs) But then it was nice because the meditation practice became this touch point of being like, okay, no, now, now is the time. And sometimes I would do it in the morning with my coffee. Sometimes I'd do it at night before bed. Sometimes I would do it around four o'clock when I was having the afternoon anxiety of just kind of feeling like, you know, the morning is over. I don't really want to drink any more coffee, but it's not really time for a beer. Right. Yeah, like that weird. <laughs> and then also like, like should I have another beer? <laughs> You're like, does it matter? I mean, I've seen many a tweet that's like, you know, 9 a.m. has become finished my wine from last night when I passed out the couch time. And I'm like, you know, honestly, like whatever works for you, I'm not here to judge you. My, you know? my phrase that I think I've used the most during this period is dig in. Like, it's like if someone wants to like be like, oh, I'm baking bread, I'm planting a garden, I'm like, I don't know, dyeing my hair every two days, like starting a podcast, a YouTube channel. I'm just like, dig in, girl. Just dig in. Like, whatever it is you want to do right now, dig in. I mean, I would actually say like, you know, it's ironic that we're here kind of under the guise of talking about performance because I feel like a lot of people like without the structure of their lives have like become like performing one's life in some ways. You're like, what actually is my life? Like, I don't know what this, like you're kind of an astronaut floating in space. So you're kind of like, fake it till I make it. Like, this is like, what, like, is there kind of any kind of surreal elements like that for you? Where you're like, I'm kind of just like, I'm doing, I'm going through the motions of creating something because like, but it's actually my life. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for me at first, I, I used to say, I said this to everyone. I'm like, I live alone, I work alone. And I'm used to spending like most of my hours in the day alone. There are moments where I spend time with, where I spend a lot of hours with people, like when I'm on tour, when I'm doing a project. Also, I love my friends, but it's kind of like, I, I spend most of my waking hours alone anyway. Mm. <laughs> and so in some ways I was like, this doesn't feel that different. Um, but then, then when the mind starts to wander, you're kind of like, oh, wait a minute, I really feel like I should connect with someone. Or like, I haven't left the house in days. Like those kinds of things where you're kind of like, or you're just like, I don't even know what day it is. Yeah, well, that's what I mean by the floating. You're just kind of like, what are the usual anchor points of my life? Like working towards an event yeah. or working towards a lecture you need to give or, or working towards to a flight. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. like you're an artist who I see like who is always not in L.A. You know, like, yeah, I mean, you're like me or the way we used to be, I should say. And so how is, you know, how is that? Because I think a lot of, like, you're one of the artists I know that has such a good global network of collaborators and kind of people that inspire you and and audiences that you like to reach around the world. So, like, how is that? How how will it seem to be, how will it feel to be much more housebound or or maybe even domestically bound? I mean, right now, I mean, even before this pandemic, happened i was thinking what how is any of this sustainable like how is my life as an artist sustainable how is my life as a musician sustainable? how is my life as a young queer person getting on planes and sleeping on couches and staying in hotels and doing these gigs all over the place like how like do i want to live this life when i'm 50 you know or do i actually want to just like have like a garden in the country with like three dogs you know where i like grow all my own food and like you know, it, it's just, it's, and, and like, how is me every morning waking up and opening up my laptop to figure out how I'm going to make my life through emails and applications and can I do this? Should I do that? No, I don't want to do that. Yeah, sure. I'll do this. It's like this kind of constant negotiation of, of being in one place, but then trying to be everywhere. 
Mm. I do think, I mean, I grew up in the country and, and like we never moved house like my entire childhood. And my parents still live in that town. And but so they're quarantined in that place? No, I mean, they moved after my grandparents died, but like um, they're still in the same zip code. And so there's mm. the same cue of like, uh, like I love to be all over the place, but then I just wonder how long I'm going to love to be all over the place. And I think that that's something I was that was already that would already come up like creep up from behind before, but now during this period, it really does bring up. I mean, also, what are the ethics of getting on planes every fucking week? You know, I mean, yeah. where where do our politics? You know, it's like if you're a queer artist and you're not thinking about the environment, you know, if if you're like you know if you're obsessed with, I don't know, critiquing things, like we also have to be self-critical. And and I do think that like these moments of slowing down are nice. And it's the first time that I'm doing it in ten or twelve years, um, mm -hmm. and I'm not mad about it. Well, I mean, it's like we're so busy doing the things at times that it's hard to think about how you're doing the things, you know? And so I think that this has given us a lot of time to be like, are we in alignment? You know, are the things that kind of make the foundation of my values? Like, you know, and, and, we're, and we're so busy. Like, it's like you don't have time. To, you're too busy trying to catch this plane and think about, like, should I be flying, <laughs> you know, to get to this place? It's a lot. So I think that it is a blessing to have um, – a little bit of time to kind of see like what's going on, you know, from like a bird's eye view, um, even if it is kind of imposed by something horrific. Um, and it even, but like, I think that the time was also, hopefully we're being, we're using it to kind of prevent something even worse down the line in our lifetimes. And that's why I think that like, you know, lastly, kind of like, what are your thoughts about, like, I've been struggling to envision, like when you say 50, that triggered something for me because I'm like, it's been hard for me to imagine like February of next year, you know, you yeah, know, and kind of like what, or January 20th, for instance, it's like, how, what do you think it, what do you think about that? Well, I'm an Aquarius, so I'm very adaptable. <laughs> <laughs> um, Start there. <laughs> I think that, I mean, my songs, I literally write songs that say like, it's time for changes, it's time to shift. So like, it's also a thing where like, if we shift, dig in, you know, it's kind of like maybe, 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 um, I guess for me, I'm, we're not gonna go back to December, 2019, and we can't. And also with or without sure. a pandemic, and without, with or without a pandemic, like time is always changing. Our experience of time is always changing and, and humans are extremely adaptable, even though the systems of capitalism make us feel like we're not, we're really adaptable and alternatives are possible. And we have even seen that um, through this pandemic is that we don't have to work nine to five, seven days a week. We don't have to drive our car all every fucking day. We don't have to get on planes every week. We don't have to uh, go shopping all the time you know um it's it's possible also we don't we also have governments that are filthy rich with our tax money that they can also give back to us <laughs> to relieve the pressures <laughs> of what it means to be a citizen in that in that society um and and it's interesting too how like the united states is the richest country in the world but yeah we're give, we're doing the least for for our people compared to other other uh industrialized nations 
So I guess for me, I think alternatives exist. I think this is a radical moment um, that, that, that people are experiencing. And we won't forget, this is a really huge touchstone. The way that 9-11 was a huge touchstone for a kind of American psyche. This is a huge, this is a huge, and 9-11 really changed the way that we saw borders, the way that we saw travel, the way that we saw nationalism, the way that we saw government, um, the military industrial complex, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, for better and worse, right? Mostly worse. But it, 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 all worse. it did change the way that we see things. Um, and I think this is a huge touch point for, for um, I guess, to bring it back to the conversation about performance. It's like, if our lives, if, if, if you know, is, if life is a play, if this whole, if government is a, is theater, you know, the society right now is the audience is thinking critically about how they're engaging. Yeah. They're like, Hmm. Like, what do I think of this piece? <laughs> Cause it's yeah. making me feel real fucked up. Yeah. Um, well, I want to give you a second to talk about your upcoming album and like kind of how, you know, I know that, it's uh, very unclear kind of like when there will be any kind of performance uh, uh, tour, but I mean, kind of like where can people find it? How, you know, I don't, I'm not sure exactly when you created the music or kind of the ideas behind it. Like how do you find those ideas in this context and kind of what are they? Um, the, the EP is called No Temple and I got that title after reading David Wanarovich's writings. And actually that's a portrait of David Wanarovich behind me. Okay. Oh, over there. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, just thinking about, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a very spirited album. It's like kind of calls for revolution, but then in some songs it's also very personal and tender. And I think that those two things are not separate. I think that revolution is born from a kind of extreme tenderness and care and empathy and, 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 and feeling. Um, cause it really lights a fire inside of you <laughs> and that doesn't have to be a violent fire or a bad, it doesn't have to be a bad fire. Um, and, um, let's see, I made most of, I made all of the music before the situation happened with Corona. Um, however, we did shoot a video in Berlin the day before the lockdown in, in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. It's kind of funny, as we were like wrapping the video, we were like in a taxi going back home and we were like, this video is always going to be like the Corona video. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> or the pre-Corona video, you know, you're just yeah. kind of like, all right, better wrap it up. Yeah. Um, so I put out a single a few weeks ago. It's called Cry and it's on it's Spotify. Great. Thank you. It's like very much hits me where I'm at a lot of the time when I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh goodness, it's great. It's emo, it's pretty emo. Um, so that song is out on like Spotify and Apple Music and SoundCloud and Bandcamp. And then the next single, um, Forgive You Not, is gonna have a video with it and that's gonna come out beginning of June. And then the EP drops middle of July. Is Forgive Me Not the video the one in Berlin? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Well, I can't wait to see that. I mean, I mean, it's good to that, you know, things are able to move forward for you. Um, yeah. Even during this, it is, it is fortunate to already have something in the can, you know, that is uh, ready to go. So um, thank you so much for uh, it's always such a pleasure to see your face and talk to you and hear all these extremely intelligent things and critical things. I think that uh, it's a lot for people to think about because I think that you have to start looking at what's going on around us as something that is you're not just an audience member, right? Like people are, you know, obligated to do something about what they see and become a performer in their own right. So 
um, I think this is a critical conversation. We're all, We're all participants in this situation. I, I've also been saying like in my conversations a lot, like zoom out. This is a time to zoom out, you know, and like take a breath, like fly up, like be the drone that like flies up and just like looks down and be like, okay, what is this? What are these materials? <laughs> what, what is my life and also what do I want to like fly away from what do I want to zoom into who do I want closer to me what matters um, yeah I think tenderness is also a really important thing that I've been thinking about like it's okay to be tender which is vulnerability and care and empathy and love too right some of those things they seem like they're in short supply but I think that actually I mean, one of my hopes for this period is that people start understanding. I mean, like one thing that, you know, it's like we're seeing inside each other's homes. We're seeing, you know, people who are like usually high powered executives with a million staff in their bedrooms hiding because their kids are running around. You know, it's like people are people. Again. Yes. So I think that that tenderness you talk about is something that will be um, a little bit more feasible. Like we are human beings and we've all now been through this together. So how can we kind of use that solidarity and start to kind of like write a different chapter. Yeah. Um, all right, well, thank you. I hope you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you soon, babe. Thanks for calling, Trey. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of Enjoy course. Palm Springs and that cute shirt. I will, you know, well, hopefully I lose the shirt soon. I'm trying to get in that pool. Oh, there's a pool. There's a pool. Yeah, I didn't want to do all that to y'all at the back. That's why she's there. Let me put a fireplace back there. That seems okay. Um, all right, well, take care. Thanks so hey, much. Sweetie. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Tyler. Like I said, you are brilliant. Thank you very much. I can't wait to see um, the rollout of the album and how we are going to uh, deal with putting these pieces back together together. You know, I mean, this world has needed to change for a long time. Um, and I'm so glad that you're in it to kind of help that proceed agilely. And, you know, with as much kind of eye to history and respect for people as possible. So some takeaways. I think that one of the things that he said that I think we need to remember a lot of the time, especially for our young people who might be watching this, is like, this shit ain't new. You know, these issues that we're dealing with in terms of like, you know, race, uh, capitalism, exploitation, gender, um, homophobia, like every ism, every obia, like those are things that we've been dealing with, even in the context of the pandemic that we're dealing with now. I think it was a good point for him to bring up that, you know, first of all, we still up in the HIV AIDS pandemic that never ended, you know. We have seen as a result, it's funny, Fauci was a big part of that. Larry Kramer, God, God rest his soul. This, uh, this episode is dedicated to him. He passed. Last week, um, we are losing so many giants during this pandemic. It is fucking crazy. Uh, it's, it's, you're kind of in a, I talked to a friend and she said, you know, you're kind of always in this constant state of grieving. So when something happens, someone dies, um, instead of being kind of like, oh my God, this is crazy. It's kind of just like, you know, light another candle. You know, we sit in vigil this whole time. But anyways, I think that, um, it's really important to to believe that like so Fauci and Kramer were huge rivals in the eighties and nineties when they were trying to convince the kind of Food and Drug Administration, CDC, all of them to kind of take this shit seriously. Um, and here Fauci is now, you know, 
30 years later, 40 and maybe almost 40 years later, the face of our response to COVID-19. That's just like a kind of an, a specific example of that these themes are not new. These issues that we're grappling with are not new. Um, the response that we can have can be new. The coalition that we can form to fight them might be new. And I think a lot of the ways that it will be new is that we're going to be able to kind of take the lessons and the partnerships that we've learned or didn't learn in the previous crisis or when this previous um, issue was at the forefront and we can use those tools to um, fight it now. So don't think that this is the first time we've seen racism or brutality. I mean, you already know it's not, but I think that looking to the past can be a very useful tool as we examine how to um, how to kind of frame our responses. Another point that he made, especially talking about um, kind of theater and its role in forming, uh, kind of bringing issues to the public in a way that they can digest and understand and, and critique and debate. Um, and then people can kind of go home and think about how they can put those ideas into practice in their lives. And I think that we're seeing so much of that, no matter if it's theater or, you know, visual art, music, um, media in general, TV, film, podcast, web series, whatever it is, I think that there is a really important opportunity to, because these things that we're grappling with seem so intractable. They seem so permanent. You know, like no matter what I'll do, it's like whack-a-mole. You know, you can't catch them all. You can't beat them all. You know, no matter how many wins you might have, they're going to come back stronger and bigger and, and, and it, it, it can be overwhelming. And so I think that when you look at statistics and when you look at the size of some of these problems, that that's not an irrational response to think that this is something we can't fix. But I think when you engage with art and really good art and really good artists are able to kind of frame what they're working on in the context in, in which it's made and for whom it's made and when it's made and let people kind of deal with it and interpret it. And then let that dictate their behavior and their framing of these issues. And so, um, you know, artists like Tyler who are able to kind of, A, reach into the past, bring it into the present with their work um, to spark a conversation and then allow the audience to go home and say, hey, what can I do? You know, he was saying some real ass shit there about organizing or about kind of queer liberty or about gender. And, you know, I've had some of these ideas of my own swirling around. So it was really, really helpful to see that performance and really crystallize some of the things that I think I need to be um, being more vocal about and, and kind of taking more action on. So that's another really good point. And I think lastly, dig in. The, 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 this last several weeks, you know, I mean, last several months. Oh, my God. What am I even talking about at this point? Um, have allowed us the space, the, the lucky of us. You know, the, those of us who are not, you know, fighting, you know, police brutality in their communities or a flu in their home or, uh, you know, a landlord trying to evict them um, or a job trying to kind of like make sure that they don't stay well. I mean, those of us who have space um, to examine our lives and say kind of what should we be doing, digging in you know, has been kind of a personal journey. But I think it's just, you know, whether that's like, I'm going to become a really good chef finally. I'm finally going to bake that bread. I'm finally going to um, do that puzzle. I'm finally going to call that friend or mend this marriage or teach my children or plant that garden or just 
sit the fuck at home still, which I never get the chance to do. And a lot of that, that was me. A lot of this time was kind of me, like kind of like Tyler, just saying, hey, I needed a break, actually. And I, I needed to spend time with me. I mean, Tyler, that's not his problem. He has no problem staying home alone. I do, or I did, I will say. And so I think digging into you uh, has been a wonderful part of this journey. If you haven't had a chance to do it, it looks like some of us are going to still have time to do it. Um, it's not too late. But as a society digging in, or as a community, um, we need to dedicate ourselves to redouble, re-triple efforts to change the fuck out of this society, you know? And there are already efforts underway to kind of address some of our most horrific and, you know, seemingly uh, ever-present problems. But, you know, and Trump, you know, and this presidency and some of the things that he's, you know, he's like some of the grenades that he's launched and kind of these raccoons he's fucking shaking up in a bag and let loose in society. Um, I think that that has had a lot to do with us getting our shit together already. But now, if it ain't clear now to you that we have to get our shit together or it is at our peril, we will not survive another another leadership like this another we can't afford to take our eye off the prize not for one more fucking second and i think that because of that we can really actually start to dig in and say we are going to make something happen i think whether that means that you're going to kind of solidify an organization that you're a part of and kind of its strategy whether that means you're going to finally release this creative project that you've been you know finishing up and honing and kind of nervously kind of figuring out how to bring into public view. I mean, do that. If it just means that you're going to finally quit that job or, or apply for that job or say what you've needed to say to your boss. I mean, whatever digging in means to you, I think if all of us kind of make those individual choices, then as a society, we can really start to make the changes that necessary to not live like this. We can't live like this. I mean, we can, but I mean, I won't in terms of what I will control. And I think that all of us deserve so much better. Except the racists. They deserve worse. (laughs) But most of us are living under a system that is holding us down in some way. And I think that we need to kind of be about getting that together and using this clarity and the horror that we've seen to drive us towards um, unity and kind of leaning in all the way to, you know, our purposes. So I really enjoyed that conversation, Tyler. As always, it's so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, everyone who tuned in. Please check back tomorrow, which will be Thursday's episode of What We're Going to Do Performance when we talk to Queen Amore. You definitely won't want to miss that. Um, Thanks again. This is Trey, your host. Have a great day.